You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road in Hillsboro, North Carolina. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. We thank you for your word this morning. Father, we pray that you would teach us, that you would grow us, and that you would remind us of our importance. And God, in that, that you would be glorified. So Father, help us to listen closely. Father, help us to hear not just the voices in the room, but Father, to hear your voice above every voice. And Father, may all the distractions that could possibly take place in here today, Father, may they fade. May they fall by the wayside so that they don't become something that gets in the way of us hearing what you want us to do and how we should respond to you. And so, God, we pray. I pray that you would work in this place. God, that if I say something that's wrong, Father, help it not to be heard. And Father, make the, the clarity of your message, allow that to rise. So God, we thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you turn with me to Mark chapter 1? As we start the Gospel of Mark, and would you stand as we read God's Word together? We'll read uh, Mark chapter 1 all the way down through verse 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I think there's one in the pew in front of you. If you go about two-thirds of the way through, you'll find the Gospel of Mark. It's right after Matthew. So, and right before Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, find Mark in chapter 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching or proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was, was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching or proclaiming and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water by water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee or in whom I am well pleased. You may be seated. This gospel given to us reveals Jesus. This gospel reveals Jesus. It's going to tell us who Jesus is. It's, it's going to share with us that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Savior, but He is also a servant. 
He did not come to come into this scene to necessarily be lifted up and put on an earthly throne. And Mark's going to show us that. He's going to say, he's going to show us and, and actually gets recorded in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So we're going to learn who Jesus is. And, and in this, John is fulfilling at the very beginning of this gospel, as Mark records it, John is fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah the prophet gave. And that was repeated again in his dedication at the temple. And so John is, John is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And so he's in the wilderness preparing the way or making the path straight for this Messiah that is coming. And his job is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, he is a unique character. And we're going to talk about that in a little while because his clothing is not normal. We'll get there. So he's, he's that kind of person. So he's preaching and proclaiming, and things are happening around him. He is a, a preacher that if you were to look at him, you'd say not only are the crowds gathering, but they are responding to him. And they're responding in a couple different ways. They're responding to his call for repentance. So basically he's telling them, you need to repent. We get scared of that word. Have you ever seen somebody on a street corner that, says, that has a big sign that says, repent? You go, I don't even want to talk to him. But, but it, it's a word that, that we kind of shy away from because it's one of those words that kind of offends us. But as Paul or as, as John is sharing that, and he's saying, repent, what he's doing is he's calling them into relationship with God. He's saying, look, all around you, and as you look at your life, you need to understand there's a reason to turn. And repent just means to turn and go another direction. And so John is sharing this. And so there's this call to repentance. There's a call to be ready for the Messiah, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he says, you need to be ready. Messiah is on his way, and it's going to be sooner than later. And then it's a respond with action, not just words. We read about that in a different, different gospel where the Pharisees were coming to John. He said, why are you here, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites? You come. And you've not, shown, you've not shown that you've repented from anything. You've come to see the sideshow. You've come to see who has placed their trust somewhere else besides you. And so he tells them to go back. And let's see fruit of repentance. And so John shares that. And the crowd included a wide range of folks. It says in this passage that all of Judea was coming out country of Judea, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. So the crowd included what we would consider normal people. Just the crowd. Nothing special, nothing particular about them. So we had those, um, no particular status, and then you had the purely curious. If this group goes, then I'm going to go. And you, you've seen that maybe at a Maybe at a vacation Bible school where you have a, a child that says, I want to accept Christ, and all the friends come right with that, with that child. I want to do that too. I want to do that too. So you may have had that. And they may be very sincere in doing that, but, but they may just be following to find out what's going on. They may just be curious. So I think there's a group of folks that just came out to find out what this guy was about. Essentially, they were ambulance chasers. 
year one, I'm sorry. So, but they were coming out to find out what's going on. Let's go check out the guy that's dressed weird and see what he's doing. Then the last group were the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they came out and they wanted to know what was going on, but probably more because of the preservation idea and the, the threat to their power or their position that they showed up because they wanted to see what was going on in the wilderness and, and why the allegiance to them was being turned over to John. They were asking a question in the wilderness, listening to John, the same that we would ask. How important am I? And the reason I say that is because we're going to look at a couple of things in this. The first point is that people seek acceptance and approval. People seek acceptance and approval. You know how this works. If you want to know something, you, you go find somebody that will tell you what you want to hear, right? I've seen it I don't know how many times where you go, I'm having... I'm having trouble in a marriage, so I'm going to go find somebody else that's having trouble in theirs, and I'm going to seek their advice. That doesn't even quite make sense, does it? If I'm going to go seek out counseling for a marriage that's in trouble, I want to go to somebody that is successful, that has survived it, and even survived the arguments and the fussing and, and all that kind of stuff. Survived toothpaste lids and all that mess. So I want to go there. And so I think in, in this particular case, we're talking about a people that are hungry for something. And so in verse 4 and 5, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem were coming out and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. So they, they do that. And I think for the folks that came out, Maybe not the Pharisees and Sadducees. Maybe not the ambulance chasers. But there's a a larger crowd that I think had a hunger for for something they couldn't pinpoint. I think they had a hunger for God. I I think they had an irresistible hunger that they just had to go find out if this was the thing that would satisfy. I think all of us have in us this desire for something. And someone that has more meaning than what we can provide for ourselves. You see it played out in in ways that are not necessarily healthy. You can see it played out in a marriage where all the desires and expectations are wrapped up in the spouse. And so you've got this this wife who says, everything that that I am, all that, you know, we go through the, the wedding vows Oh, you are so wonderful and great for two days. And then you realize they snore or, or something else, and you go, oh, man. I was expecting peace and quiet and love and all that kind of stuff. And here we are in the middle of an argument trying to decide where we're going to eat tonight. It could be that simple. But we see people place their desires and their expectations in something that is not worthy not completely worthy to accept that. The weight of that is too great. Maybe it's even a situation where there's abuse involved. Could be a marriage, may not be, maybe something else. 
Well, people say, I've got to stay in this because I just love them so much that I would be, I'd be willing to be codependent. I just can't walk away from that because they fulfill some desire in me. They give me approval, even if it's 5% of the time. Or they accept me as I am because nobody else really will. We see this played out in, in situations where there's homosexual relationships. I want acceptance. I want approval. And if I can't find it over here, I'll go over here. You've had those conversations with folks. I want you to accept me for who I am. This is how I am. It's just the way it is. And I really need you to approve it. it may not be scriptural, but that's what we desire. Acceptance and approval. It's a common cry. In fact, I'm, I think I could, probably be, I could probably go far enough to say that even the shooting in Florida was, was somewhat motivated by something like that. He was dismissed from school, suspended from school, not accepted, not approved. People seek acceptance and approval. They have an irresistible hunger that can only be, that void can only be filled by the God of creation. We also see in this particular case, for John, it was an irresistible environment. So an irresistible hunger and irresistible environment. People were coming and they were confessing. And honestly, there is nothing glamorous about confessing sin, is there? Yet they came and they were confessing sin and there seems to be a joy associated with confessing sin in this particular, this particular circumstance. They were coming, willingly come before a group of people and talk about what they had done because there was freedom. And so some, in some strange way for our, in our minds, Confession and joy are joined together because it frees up the relationship that we can have with God. I think we'll find that other places in Scripture that talks about if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just. We confess our sin to one another. We get lifted up. We get encouraged in that. So in this particular thing with people wanting acceptance and approval, here's the application. The world is looking for a satisfying connection to fill a void. The world around us is looking for that, and our church can be an environment that offers true hope. You realize that? It could be in a small group. You go to a small group and you get surrounded by people that love you and accept you as you are, but not willing, like God, not willing to allow you to stay that way. That's why the guys are going through act like men. When you, when you go through a series like they're going through on Wednesday night, and you start talking about things that are pretty intimate, and I don't know what's going on in there, so I can't, so if you say, hey, are they talking about this? I don't know. But they're in a situation where they get encouraged, and in that, find the hope in, in Christ for moving forward. So an environment that offers true hope. 
we have the opportunity to be a place where that hunger for acceptance and approval can be satisfied because we allow them to see a God that is worth worship, worthy of worship. The second thing I want us to understand, well, I tell you what, just, just in this conversation, you are more important and less important than you think. Just think about that for a second. In this passage, John's going to tell us more about this. And so we seek acceptance and approval when we say, oh, I am so important that God would come here and die for me. That Jesus would take on my sin. And then we get to the next section. It says, John was clothed, was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I am. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. We kind of glaze over that. So the, the second part of this is that Jesus is above all. Jesus is above all. This phrasing is unique. It's, it's different. We, we just kind of we go through and we say, oh, John's just saying that, that he is so unworthy, he, he's not even worthy to do something that a normal servant would do for somebody who, of importance. But it has much more, much more depth to it than that. What Mark is referencing here, possibly, is the idea of a marriage ceremony. Now, there are a couple things that happen with the untying of a sandal. Now, we see it as just a, a serving kind of thing, but in reference to the bridegroom, what would happen, one of the, one of the things that happens with the untying of the sandal is it is symbolic of the husband of a deceased brother taking the widow as his wife, and having a child to preserve the family name. So that's one of the meanings in this that could, be, that could be seen in it. And what John is saying essentially is, I'm not taking his place. I'm not going to be the bridegroom. In fact, my job as the bridegroom's friend is to point to the bridegroom. My job is to call all attention to him and not myself. And so what John is saying here is, is that Jesus is more important. Jesus is above all. The, I was doing some study on the marriage ceremony itself. And listen to this phrasing. And I didn't know this until till I read it this week. It says, what is communicated to the bride before she leaves home is this. May you increase from thousands upon thousands. It's Genesis 24. And it's the idea that she would just be fruitful. Thousands upon thousands. But the next phrase that is given to the groom is this, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Oh, where have we heard that before? And at that, the bride's veil is placed on the shoulder of the groom. And so the groom is now in charge of the veil. Man, when I look at that and I think about that particular thing, and I think that we as the church are the bride of Christ, that Jesus comes and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and the veil of the bride has been placed on his shoulder, so he has responsibility for the bride at that particular point. And what John is saying is, I am not the groom. 
Don't look to me. Look to the groom. Look to Jesus because He is the one that is worthy of all worship. He is the one that should have the attention of the people standing around, not me. Not only is Jesus above all, but He is mightier. It says, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to stoop down and untie his sandals. That word mightier means that he just has the ability to withstand attack. And in this case, it has to do with spiritual attack and spiritual authority. Where John would fail, Jesus would succeed. It's why John would, John writes in, in um, a different John, but in John Chapter 3, it says this. John the Baptist says this, as John records it, he must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30, and then in 3.31, listen to the words that follow that. He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is above all. And John the Baptist, as Mark writes this, understands that Jesus is preeminent. That he is the one where all attention should be placed. All worship should be placed on him. The spotlight needs to move from John the Baptist and camel's hair and wild and honey and, and locusts and moved over to Jesus coming as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. That spotlight needed to change. And it's going to be a weird transition because as much as you want to put Jesus in the spotlight, lift him up because he is above all, Jesus makes a startling statement in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which is essentially the, the purpose of the book or the purpose of Jesus as he's sharing with his disciples. He says, I've not come to be served, but to be, to be a servant. I came to serve which is not exactly the position of somebody who would be above all. We would not consider them that. Yet that's who Jesus is. And so you are more important than you think and less important. You are less important than you think and yet more important because Jesus died for you. The last thing I want us to understand is that advancing his kingdom starts at the altar. Advancing his kingdom starts at the altar. John's baptism was a baptism with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Phrasing in this is pretty interesting. The whole idea of baptism is to be submerged or immersed in it. And we show that because we believe in baptism by immersion. We don't, we don't sprinkle. And I know some denominations will sprinkle. I'm just kind of glad um, they don't call Brad and pull out a fire hose, you know, just kind of, we're going to baptize like that. We're going to blow you across the parking lot. You know, it's, we don't do that, do we? But you'd be willing, right? Just for fun. But we don't, we don't do baptism like that. We, we say baptism is an outward sign of something that has already taken place on the inside. And what, what John shares it's, in this, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It is that change that, that we see in this verse. 
See, John's is an outward sign. It's something on the outside. I'm going to baptize you with water. But Jesus' baptism is going to be an inward work. It's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a work of grace, a work of sanctification. It's as Scott talked about last night, or last week, it's part of discipleship. It's symbolic of the, the cleansing from sin. It's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and our identification with Him and all things being made new. That's what baptism is. And so we we say baptism is not necessary for salvation. Listen, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but assuredly it is an act of obedience and identification. And so you may be in here and say, I've never been baptized, but I know I'm going to heaven. I don't have to be baptized because you say I don't have to be baptized. I just want to ask, who are you identifying with? Who are you being obedient to? I think baptism is that follow-up step to salvation. It's a follow-up step of committing myself to Christ and surrendering my life. And so I want to follow through with that identification through those waters. And some of you may be in here and go, I can't stand to be in front of a group of people. I'm too nervous. When you're up there, just I'm saying for here, when you're up there, you don't have to look this way. I'm just telling you, you could look that way. If you face the other way, you can look that way. I don't know that anybody cares. You can close your eyes if you want to. I don't want you to trip, but you can close your eyes. And baptism doesn't take very long. It does not take very long. There are a lot of places where we spend more time and could be more embarrassed than going through the baptismal water. So I would say, if you go, I'm too scared, get brave. Follow through and be obedient and identify with Christ publicly before his church. The ones that are going to surround you with encouragement anyways. I've seen some strange things happen in in baptisms. I baptized a girl that just wanted to fight me tooth and nail as I tried to put her down. And her feet popped up. It was all we could do. I mean, she, she didn't weigh but 85 pounds, but it, she was hard to get on her feet because she just kind of wanted to swim, I think. You know, I, it was just tough. So you could have a situation like that. I've, we've, I baptized a guy who was probably 50 pounds more than me and got him in. And it, when, when he went down, waters went up. You know, he went down and the water splashed the choir. It was so cool. And then he came up, and he had a he had big white robe on. And at that church, I didn't wear a robe. I was just like in these clothes, tuck my tie in, get rid of the watch, that kind of stuff. And he turned around, came up out of that water, and just bear hugged me. I was soaked all the way through. It was one of those summer months where the air conditioner was on really well. So strange things can happen, but it's all good. Because somebody has committed their life to Christ and is following through in obedience. Nobody's going to get upset about that. So if you've not followed through with that, I encourage you to do that.
follow through with baptism. So you are more important than you think. You ask that question, how important am I? You're more important than you think. Because Jesus gave his life for you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to go to a cross and take on your sin, the penalty of your sin, and eradicate the power that sin has over you. Second part of that is you are less important than you think. Because all glory and honor goes to God. All praise goes to Him. It doesn't go to you because of a decision you made. It goes to God for providing your salvation. Your life is designed for relationship with Almighty God. That's what gets taken care of when we start seeking the acceptance and approval, we turn our life over to God, we get acceptance into his family and approval by the blood of Christ. We can then lift up his name as Jesus is above all without any hesitation because he's Lord of our lives. We can come to the altar and say, God, I surrender and I want your kingdom to be advanced. That's how we have to look at it. And so how do we respond this morning? Two words. It's going to apply to everybody. Two words are trust him. Trust him. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, trusting him means admitting that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. You can't earn heaven, you can't earn salvation, you can't earn eternal life, and you need forgiveness for your sin. Second part of that is to believe that Jesus is the only solution to your problem. Jesus is the only one that can take away your sin and take on the penalty of your sin. And so you surrender by faith. The third part of that is confess Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Surrender your rights It's just what John said, I must decrease and he must increase. It's allowing Jesus to increase in your life and saying, God, you are in charge of me. So come to the altar. That phrase again, for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, trust him. Two words, trust him. Be committed to being part of the advancing of God's kingdom. Seek to provide an irresistible environment for people to meet and trust God. And in some ways saying, I will not be a hindrance to having conversation about a relationship with Christ. So if somebody is seeking acceptance and approval in some way that you don't agree with, but they show up in church, never approach them and say, man, you sure need this place. You sure need to be here. I'm glad because preachers are going to talk to you. Preachers talk to everybody. But more importantly, I hope God is. And so we don't want to be a hindrance to what God may be doing in somebody's life. The other part of that is to personally develop as a follower of Christ and serve Him somewhere. Personally develop and serve. So how do I do that? Well, there were 34 people over the last couple weeks 
that have committed to serving in our preschool area. That is awesome. I need to repeat that, don't I? There are 34 people that were not on the list before that have committed to serving in our preschool area. You may say that's not a big deal. And really, if you signed up to do that, you're not, you're not serving like every week. It's periodically. There, there's a list. But what it does is it says that us as a church are committed to, to working with young children who will need to know Christ. We're going to love on them and pour into them, help them to understand the love of God back in that area for a short time periodically. And so, as they commit to being authentic followers of Christ, they are also committing to serve so that that takes place. And I guess if you had to wrap this up for us who already have a relationship with Christ, we just want to say, God, help me to decrease and you to increase. Whether it be me personally or us as a church, help Jesus to be elevated and lifted up in this place. So would you pray with me? Father, as we consider all that John shared about repentance and then look at the the crowd that came to, to be baptized, but to respond to you. Father, we realize that there are a lot of different places that we could seek acceptance. A lot of different places where we look for approval. God, only you are worthy of our worship. And only you can give that which fulfills us. And so, Father, I pray that as we have this time of commitment, that if we don't have a relationship with Christ, that this morning we will trust him. We will surrender our rights and become a follower of Jesus. Father, I pray that for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, that we're sure about where we will spend eternity, that we'd be willing to say we want to be catalysts for people coming to know Christ and that we need to decrease and you need to increase. God, that may mean we submit to serving or we come to the altar and say I want to pray that I will just be open to whatever God has for me maybe it's becoming part of this church this church family and so God I pray that you would work during this invitation time that we would see your hand that we would hear your voice and that you would be glorified we pray in Jesus name Amen. Let's stand. And if God is calling you to come to him for the first time to accept Christ, I invite you to come down to the front. We can answer some questions for you about that. But if you're in here and you say, I have a relationship with Christ, and you just want to commit your life to being an authentic follower of his and believing that Jesus must increase in this place, and you want to pray about that, then I invite you to come as well this morning. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 for our weekly worship service. 
If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.